You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. She put two big middle fingers up in Rome's face and made Alexander the Great pee his pants, but not before making him fall in love with her. Or did she? I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small, and no topic is too big, because this is for the love of history. Hello, 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 my friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. Today is our last Black History Month episode before our first guest ever on For the Love of History podcast. I know, it's bananas. I'm really excited. I hope you're really excited. Next week, we will have a mid-season guest, but I won't give away any spoilers for that until the end of the episode, so you'll just have to look forward to that information at the end of today's episode. So, what is our episode about for today? We are hitting two of our three favorite types of history today, women's history And it's an Empress Batty episode. Air horn. I need one. So today we are going to dive into the history of some very mysterious queens from the kingdom of Kush in modern Sudan and parts of Ethiopia. We are going to be talking about some badass warrior queens and we will be talking about the misinformation there is about them floating around the interwebs. So without further ado, grab your sword, grab your shield, and let's get to it. The Queens of Kush is a topic shrouded in mystery and confusion, and I was not familiar with them at all. History from the continent of Africa is something that I'm really not familiar with at all and it's kind of one of my 2022 goals to remedy that situation. I want to know more about the histories of different countries in Africa because I really never learned a lot about them. And so when I started off my research, I thought I knew exactly what I was going to be covering. One specific badass queen from Ethiopia. Turns out, I was not going to be covering one badass queen from Ethiopia, nor was I going to be even covering a queen from Ethiopia at all, because that is not where the kingdom of Kush was. I was very confused by the whole thing, and it took me a while to sort out what exactly it was I was looking at, what it was I was researching. But before we get started, let me tell you about the history of Kush, because you know me. I always like to start off with a little bit of background so that we can acclimate ourselves to where exactly we are in history and get some context. So before Ethiopia and Sudan, Sudan, excuse me, 
sedan is not it's not a car before ethiopia and sudan became separate countries there was an empire that fell inside both of these places in varying amounts during different times in history kush was a part of nubia and Nubia is the region's name, and Kush is the kingdom's name. And then the city that we're going to be talking about today is Miroe. I got confused while researching, so I just wanted to make it super clear about all the different locations and all the different names, because it, it can be a lot. We're not really going to get into Nubian history and really even Kush history all that much today, but what you really just need to know is that ancient Nubian cultures were very sophisticated and very cosmopolitan because it was the major trading center in the region for goods from the African interior, from the Arabian desert, and from the Mediterranean basin. So all of them kind of accumulated in the Nubian area. Because of this trade, there was a lot of cultural exchange and art and food and religion and inventions and medicine and all sorts of good stuff was traded in addition to goods to help Nubia become an incredibly advanced civilization and a lot of great things were happening there. Kush was particularly cool among the cultures of this time period and in this area because it was a matrilineal society, meaning property, wealth, and important stuff was passed down from mother to daughter, or in the case of the king slash queen, the daughter of the previous ruler or her children would inherit the throne. So it wasn't from father to son, it was usually from, not usually, it was always from mother to firstborn child, which could be a man or could be a woman. So there is a long list of women rulers in the Kush kingdom, which is super duper cool. Royal women were incredibly important in Kush culture. They were basically equated to gods, like the wives of gods or seen as gods themselves. This also trickled down to the non-royal women being hella important in society. Men and women were equal but opposite, balancing each other out and completing one another. And just a quick aside, I am speaking about gender in the binary way only because that was the understanding of gender in this time and this culture. There were strict gender roles, but not in the same way that the West has gender roles. It wasn't like women in the kitchen, men doing war, not at all. There were plenty of women that were warriors. And in fact, most of the queens that we're going to talk about today were warrior queens. Because of the difference in culture and gender roles, women rulers in the Kush kingdom were way more common. So we see the same kind of variety in personality and ruling style that you do with ruling men of the same time period. You had political queens, you had peaceful queens, you had academic queens with a little bit of all three mixed together. And my personal favorite queen that is pretty, pretty common in the Kush kingdom is the warrior queen. Hi there, I'm Leah. And I'm Steve. And we're the hosts of a podcast called Remnant Stew. 
We release an episode every other week that features weird, bizarre, and intriguing true stories. That's right. We track down and bring to you some of the weirdest stories and trivia, like the shrimp that spits up a glowing loogie, or the turtle that survived being locked up in a room and forgotten for 30 years. Or that time a shark on display in an aquarium puked up a human arm that sparked off a murder investigation remains unsolved to this day. I love that story. So if you need a break from the news and want something to satisfy a curious mind, then tune in to Remnant Stew. We're available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you'll tune in and join the adventure. And in the meantime, as always, please remember to be kind and And always stay stay curious. So there has been some confusion in the historic world, as there often is when we're dealing with things from a long, long time ago with no access to a time machine because nobody has invented one yet. Get on it, scientists. Elon Musk, what are you doing? We don't need to go to the moon. We need to go back in time. Get it together. I don't want a self-driving car. I want a self-driving time machine. Okay? Okay. Anyways, you get confused in the names of people and places and legacy because so much time has passed and a lot of information just gets lost or misconstrued. For a long time, Western scholars thought Candace or Kendake was the name of each queen, which would make sense because everyone in the West is either George, Henry, Victoria, or Elizabeth. So why wouldn't these queens all be called Candace or Kendake? Makes sense. Location names were also super weird and confusing because you'll often see the title the Queens of Kush, the Empresses of Ethiopia, or the Empresses of Sudan the Nubian queens, and the queens of Meroe. They're all pretty much talking about the same thing. Because like we talked about before, dear one, Nubia is a region, Kush is a kingdom, and Meroe is the city where all the royals lived in said kingdom. So you've got the name confusion, you've got the location confusion, and then to add one more layer of confusion that plagues historians to no end fan fiction. I am not joking. Fan fiction often jumbles up historical accuracy because some horny writer from the 12th century is like, wouldn't it be sweet if these two historical figures boned even though they were alive at vastly different times? Which happens way more than I care to imagine. There's a lot of fanfic out there that people used to take as actual historical records. And the pesky fanfic that has plagued our story for today is that of the 12th century French account of the Alexander Romances. So basically, this started out with the Greeks as a biography of sorts about the life of Alexander the Great. And there's a ton of variations and rewrites since then. And somewhere along the line, an amalgamation of the Candace Queens of Kush got mushed into one character and then sprinkled into the story as a love story, a romance. 
And this has caused a huge headache for historians everywhere, including myself. Oftentimes when things are written a long, 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 long time ago, they're taken at face value. Like, of course, this thing that this dude wrote a thousand years ago has to be correct. There's no way he wrote a weird romance fanfic about Alexander the Great, but he did. So in this story, Alexander the Great and this weird Queen Candace amalgamation fell in love and fought and she totally kicked Alexander's butt in war, but he fell in love with her anyways. It's a super strange story. If you want to read it, I'll leave it in the show notes, but it's it's a wild one. So because of this romance and the later epic battle face-off between Alexander and Queen Candace, history got messed up for a while. The story became more popular than the actual separate story of the real Candace Queens. And you would not believe the comment section of some of the articles I was reading. It was a full-on academic essay versus internet trolls battle. It was a weird combo. There were people that are very, very upset about this on both sides. And from the history aspect, rightfully so. Because if you type in Queen Candace, one of the first hits that you'll get on Google is a history that has been altered because of this fanfic. So obviously you'd be a little bit upset uh, as a historian and it's very confusing for people who are just casually reading articles on the internet and don't dedicate <laughs> an exorbitant amount of time researching things for their podcast. It was very confusing for me. Racism also plays a huge part in the confusion and lack of information. A soldier turned treasure hunter named Giuseppe Ferlini raided the tombs of Meroe in 1834 and found gorgeous treasures and weapons and all sorts of gorgeous artifacts. Giuseppe was like, dope. I'm gonna sell all this cool stuff for a ton of money when he found these treasures. He thought it was gonna be lit, but in fact, it was not lit because the European antiquities market refused to believe that a black African kingdom had produced such incredible works. They were like, nah, there are obviously fake artifacts or they were stolen from another place. And although we are people that buy stolen treasures, we cannot abide by lying. So poor old Giuseppe could not sell these precious Cushion artifacts. And he just either kept them for a long time or sold them at an incredibly low price. There was also rampant whitewashing of the northern part of the African continent when it came to recording history. Almost 100 years after Giuseppe couldn't sell his stolen Meroe treasure, a dude named George A. Reisner excavated some other tombs in Meroe and came to the conclusion, the ridiculous conclusion, that because the area was so advanced that the kingdom could have only been ruled by white people. Which, sir, George, Mr. Reisner, what the fuck, man? George is a right ass hole, an asshole, if you will. I refuse to say some of the stuff that he said. It is awful, but just know that he should not have had the privilege to excavate such a cool location. He was a bag of racist assholes, and it makes me upset just thinking about all of the 
ridiculous things that he wrote about Miroe history that was considered to be truth for such a long time. So with all of the misinformation, the racism, and false fanfics out there, the story of the Candace Queens has become convoluted to say the least. But luckily, we have new resources and non-asshole historians and archaeologists that have uncovered bits and pieces about the lives of these amazing women. From 40 BCE to 41 CE, there was a consecutive succession of four Kush queens. But through Kush history, there was a total of seven queens altogether who ruled in their own right, meaning independently. There were a ton of other queens or regents that ruled on behalf of someone or until the next ruler was old enough to become the king. Not a lot is known about the early life of these women, unfortunately. Their wiki pages are depressingly short. Like I'm talking a paragraph, maybe two at the most. But what we do know is that each of these women kicked ass and took names in their own unique way. So let's talk about some of my favorites. And we can begin at the beginning with the very first Queen Candace, Shanak Dakhete. She ruled somewhere around 170 BCE, which is about 2,191 years ago and one month from the time I am recording this episode. I, for as many years as I have studied history, still have a hard time understanding how long ago 170 BCE was, so I thought you might want a little bit of context just like I do. <laughs> so, Shanak Dakete was the first queen to rule independently, and she started the legacy off with a bang. We don't really know a lot about her, but we do know she was a warrior queen. And as we go on, you'll see that this is a theme. She is often depicted in her battle attire, and under her rule, the city of Meroe expanded its borders and the economy freaking boomed. It's unclear, but many sources describe her as a political and religious figure, as the wife of the god Amun, who is an Egyptian god. A lot of overlap, a lot of religious overlap happens between Egyptian religion and Kush religion. So she was considered Amun's real-life wife on earth. And that's about all we know about her life and rule. After her rule, there was a long period before the next queen, Candace, would appear. But she would begin an almost 100-year reign of only women. Candace Amanirenus had a 30-year reign from 40 to 10 BCE. And I would say that she is the most well-documented of the Candace queens. She is the one that the fanfic French dude wrote a story about. But she wasn't even alive when Alexander the Great was alive. So what was he doing? What? Did he not think anybody would catch him? Or did he? Uh, I don't even know. I have so many questions about that French guy. What are you doing? What are you doing? But even though she and Alexander were not a thing, she did get a big shout out from Caesar after kicking his booty. So in the 200 BCs, August Caesar... Augustus, not August. 
I like to call Augustus Caesar Augie, so uh, that's what I will be referring to from from now on. So Augie, Augie Caesar, had overtaken Egypt for Rome. They straight up annexed it and used Egypt for grain and other resources, expanding the Roman Empire. And Augie set his sights on Meroe because it was a friggin' boppin' kingdom. But Amani Renes was like, hell no, GTFO, we're gonna take some stuff from Egypt too and fight you, Augie. We're straight up gonna fight you. And thus, the Merodic Wars began from 27 to 22 BCE between Kush and Rome. In 22 BCE, Rome invaded Kush and destroyed the city of Napata, and Emani Reynes was pissed. She was a one-eyed warrior queen that took no shit, and she was an amazing negotiator. Battle after battle had been fought between the two of them, and eventually, peace talks began. The respect Augie had for her and the respect Rome had for her was clearly seen in the peace talks, and after everything was said and done, she negotiated more land and trade between Rome and Meroe. Our next Candace, Amani Shaketo, ruled between 10 BCE and 1 CE. She had a lavish grave that has left us with invaluable artifacts to piece together the story of the Kush people. Amanitore Candace, who ruled from the 1st century to 25 CE, reigned over the most prosperous period of Meroe's, Meroe's history. Trade was high and the economy was boppin'. Agriculture was amazing, and they were growing all sorts of things. She rebuilt a load of important temples, and she too was a warrior queen, and was super famous during her reign. Amanitore may have been also mentioned in the Bible, Acts 8.27. Is that how you say it? I think that's how you say it. I'm not really familiar with the Bible. Acts 8.27? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that seems right. All of the other Candace queens are undoubtedly incredible. It was simply powerful queen after powerful queen after powerful queen. And thankfully, more is being done now to discover everything we can about the lives of these incredible women. And hopefully soon, we will know more and be able to fully tell the stories of these amazing rulers. Well, my friend, we have come to our final thought for today. It's, it's been a little bit of a confusing episode, I definitely know, but I think it's important. I think it's an important episode because we need to learn more about these underrepresented queens in all of these different countries in Africa because it's not taught. We don't really learn all that much. We could tell you exactly what Queen Victoria ate for breakfast every day, but the names of these queens of Candace are all mixed up and a lot of people still believe a weird 12th century fanfic (laughs) about Alexander the Great. So I thought it was an important thing to talk about with you today, just to get the conversation started about it and to get more people to become interested in topics like this. But, But enough with the serious stuff. Now I got to tell you something freaking hilarious. So 
one of the Candaces that we just talked about, Candace Amani Reynas, was the one who reigned for 30 years and was best frenemies with Augustus Caesar. Well, she did something hilarious and petty AF. While she was doing those raids in Egypt, she would have her soldiers steal statues. And for whatever reason, there was a ton of statues of our friend, Augie. But as a show of good faith, she returned the statues after their peace talks, except for one. But it wasn't even a full statue. She only kept the head of Augie Caesar and buried it under the ground. <laughs> beneath the steps of a temple so that people would step on his face while walking to and from their daily temple visits. <laughs> she was like, yeah, 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 Augie, yeah, let's have peace talks. Let's, let's have really good trade for the next, like, 50 years. But, uh, I'm gonna bury your head underneath the temple and have people step on it on a daily basis. <laughs> So when these archaeologists were excavating that temple, they were so confused because they just found Augustus Caesar's head underneath the steps of this random Meroe temple. <laughs> and it's now housed in the British Museum, which is probably one of my favorite stories ever of historical petty revenge. So I guess in the end, my advice is be like Amani Reynas. Make peace. Have good trade, but also bury their head under the ground so you can step on it on a daily basis. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, dear one. We are at the halfway point of our, what we're calling, season two of For the Love of History podcast. And it has been so fun to release episodes every week. I have been really enjoying it. And we're going to do something a little bit new for our episode next week. It's going to be our official halfway mark for season two. And we're going to have a special guest from my technically hometown of Boise, Idaho, come and tell us about the old pen. We're going to talk about the woman's ward. We're going to talk about how it started and we're going to laugh while we do it. So I can't wait to see you in that episode. Like always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. If you've got time, rate and review the podcast to help other history lovers find For the Love of History podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can donate on Patreon, Good Pods, and on Linktree. So I will leave the links to those in the show notes and Thank you for just being here with me. Send me a message. Let me know what you thought about this episode. And I will see you next week. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>